Hey, you guys, I want to let you know about Book of the Month, an exciting service that helps readers discover great new books while also promoting the work of emerging authors. Every month, the editorial team at Book of the Month reads through hundreds of new titles. They do the curating for you. They narrow it down to five to seven of the best new books on the market, and you get to choose your Book of the Month. To sign up, just visit bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can get your first book for just $9.99 by using the offer code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. I should add that Book of the Month recently launched curated audiobooks in addition to hardcovers, so members have options. You can choose one or the other, either the hardcover edition or the audiobook. And if you pick the audiobook, you can download it and listen to it right there in the Book of the Month app. My latest pick is a novel called Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. It tells the story of a forgotten art star of the 1980s who died tragically and whose life and work and memory are later unearthed by an art history student. This is right up my alley. I can't wait to read it. So if you want to sign up for Book of the Month, remember, go to bookofthemonth.com and for a limited time, Get your first book for just $9.99 by using the code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. One more time, that's bookofthemonth.com. Use the code CHIRP and get reading. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Hello, everybody. Today's episode of Other People is sponsored by the Pygmalion Literary Festival, taking place in various bars throughout downtown Champaign and Urbana, Illinois, on September 27th and 28th, 2013. The Pygmalion Literary Festival will feature an eclectic lineup of emerging and established authors, many of whom have appeared right here on this program. This year's headliners include Dan Sean, Amelia Gray, Matt Bell, Roxanne Gay, and James Greer, who will be joined by Kyle Miner, Lindsay Hunter, Kathleen Rooney, and many more. And what else, you ask? Well, since the Pygmalion Lit Fest is a collaboration between Ninth Letter, Hobart, another literary journal, and the Pygmalion Music Festival, folks who attend this year will be able to experience a great lineup of musicians like Major Lazer, Dawes, The Breeders, Kurt Vile and the Violators, and the Head and the Heart. Catch the beginning of Kurt Vile's set after hearing Matt Bell and Roxanne Gay read together. Kill time in between Amelia Gray's reading and the Breeders' set by checking out the Pygmalion Book Fair. That's right, there's going to be a book fair too. Or get amped up for Major Lazer by experiencing what happens when Lindsay Hunter, Aaron Birch, and Elizabeth Ellen read together. If this sounds like fun to you, which it should, you can learn more at PygmalionLitFest.com. There you can find the full lit and music lineups uh, that are posted along with other important details. That's PygmalionLitFest.com. This is a literary and music festival slash extravaganza. You can attend it.
Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Gee, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Right. Okay, right. everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is trying to be entertaining. This is hoping for your kind attention. Thanks for being here. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Brad Listy. I'm here in Los Angeles, California, the entertainment capital of the world. And uh, I want to say that I don't think Los Angeles is an unfriendly place. Uh, yes, it can feel lonely at times. Uh, strange isolation among the masses is possible. That feeling a fragmentary kind of existence. Yes, uh, there's a lot of well-documented narcissism and insecurity and class anxiety uh, roiling in the desert flats uh, in this strange metropolis where the weather never changes. But it's hard for me to characterize a city this large and a city this diverse with one particular set of loosely synonymous descriptors. And I mistrust any attempts to do such a thing. It feels cheap to me, and it feels lazy. So, uh, that said, this morning, uh, I was walking in Los Angeles. I was going to get some caffeine here in town. And I had the very unusual experience of passing five consecutive people, uh, each of whom individually smiled at me. That's five in a row at about 7.30 in the morning. People in their cars, a couple of people on foot, people on their way to work, five in a row smiling at me. In a span of about seven to ten minutes, And uh, it was unsettling. I started to feel like maybe something was wrong with me. I even tweeted about it. Moments after the fifth smile. And uh, here's my tweet. Walking through Los Angeles, the last five people I've passed have smiled at me. Not kidding. What the hell is going on? Am I dying? So I have this theory. I have this theory that some days the cosmic energy, for lack of a better phrase, is good. And some days it's not. And the heart of the theory is that everyone can feel it. It's a universal experience, whether it's recognized or it's not. Uh, and this you know, may well be my own narcissism at work. But uh, some days I'll be walking around uh, or driving and it'll be the opposite experience. People are honking, they're screaming at one another and giving each other the finger. Uh, someone walks, you know, someone will walk past me shouting angrily. 
into his or her telephone. And I'll notice it. It seems to happen in clusters. You know? And uh, when it does, uh, I will find myself thinking, uh, the energy is bad today. The uh, stars, the cosmic forces are producing this. Mercury is in retrograde. <laughs> is it in retrograde? I have no idea. I don't, I don't pay attention uh, to that stuff. But uh, of course this can't be true, can it? This can't be true. It has to be a situation where I'm just projecting my own experience onto the masses. It has to be a, a situation where perception is reality and where the subjectivity of my particular consciousness comes into high relief and functions in essence as a mirror with the outside world offering a mere reflection of my own internal world or something. So uh, the question then becomes, you know, what kind of mood was I in this morning? You know, what kind of mood was I in that produced five consecutive smiles? What, what was it about me? I was wearing a hoodie. It wasn't like I was wearing like a pink chicken suit or anything like, you know, that would uh, automatically generate a reaction. I was inconspicuous. And uh, mood-wise, I was fine. And in truth, uh, I was struggling a little bit internally to stay focused because I was trying to uh, meditate while walking. <laughs> uh, this is a relatively new thing with me. It's an experiment. It's a little strange uh, here where, uh, in the West, I believe. But I do it uh, sometimes in the mornings. I try to walk and I try to focus only on walking. It's actually simple. Just walking and breathing. Just getting my head cleared for the day. And as I was doing this, uh, I was struggling because I wanted very badly to check Twitter. And I wanted to send text messages to friends of mine and so on. So I was struggling against my impulses, which is almost always the case during any kind of contemplative act. But overall, I was feeling fine. I was normal. There was nothing out of the ordinary about my state, as far as I can recall. And people were smiling at me. Everywhere. Which is a good thing. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying it happened. And as it happened, I told myself, uh, the energy is good today. Things are going to go my way today. The world is not going to resist me today. Bluebirds will alight from my shoulders. And so on. So now here I am talking to you and wondering to myself, uh, are you smiling Are you angry? Are you listening? 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Uh, my guest today is Erica Kleinman. She is the author of a book called My Life as a Dyke, which was just recently published uh, as an ebook exclusive by Thought Catalog. I'm very pleased to have her here, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen, the lovely and talented Erica Kleinman, and her book, once again, is called My Life as a Dyke. I'm in Fort Worth right now at my in-laws' house. What, Fort Worth, Texas? Yes. Okay. And um, I'm in their guest room, which is they're kind of they're kind of well to do. My father-in-law's a lawyer, <laughs> so it's actually just like a really nice room that actually kind of looks like a hotel. It's got like a black and white decor and really nice sheets and things and. Um, it's just really nice. It has like this really nice wooden furniture. We're we're up here visiting, um, because we're going to be moving to Costa Rica at the end of June. For what? And um, just just to live. It's a family adventure. <laughs> Holy shit! So, so wait, so wait. Yeah. No, let me let me try to clarify some stuff, okay? Because like I'm coming okay. into this, I'm coming into this relatively cold as I usually do. Um, but yeah. you, you've written uh, a book. Uh, it's an ebook that's pu- put out by Thought Catalog called "My Life as a Dyke." Yes. And you are now married to a man and have children and are moving to Costa Rica. That is correct. <laughs> okay. So we have some we have some things that we need to figure. You know, we I need to fill in some blanks here. Okay. Um, so first of all, Costa Rica, you're moving to Costa Rica on, I mean, are you going down there for some, are you going to open a business or are you just going to go down there and like spend a year with the family and some sort of like mosquito coast type thing or like what's happening? Um, you know, the plan right now is we, it kind of evolved, um, from a conversation my husband and I had about, um, about where we saw ourselves in like five years as a couple, as a family. And he brought up Costa Rica. His cousin, his favorite cousin lives there. And um, he basically said something to the effect of, like, you know, if anything ever happened to you, I'd probably move there. (laughs) And so we started talking about it, and I was like, well, you know, we could do that now. I mean, we could probably figure out a way to do that if you really want to. And so it just kind of was something we had on our radar. And, as you know, we went to visit in March, and – we really liked it. It's a, it's Monteverde is the community is the, it's in the mountains. Um, and it's like a Quaker community and we really liked it there. Like we really liked the people there. And, um, and so we decided to go for it and we're going to live there for a couple of years. Our daughter is going to go to our older daughter. Who's almost six is going to be going to the Quaker school there. 
And, um, yeah, we're on a two-year plan, and if it feels like home, then I guess we'll stay. But, no, it's not for work, and we don't have a business there, although I will be working there. What are you going to do? Yeah, what are you guys going to do? How are you going to, like, pay the bills or whatever uh, when you're in Costa Rica? Well, it's kind of weird. It's um, I'm a speech therapist. Um, and I... There's a there's a way that you can deliver speech therapy through um, telepractice, and so through, through what telepractice? It's like through the computer, basically. So they go there's there's like a really high demand for speech therapists, and there's some schools that don't have any because um, they're like in a really really rural area where not very many people want to move to, or so they have this alternative method, which is via the computer. And so it's kind of like a live stream video thing where I would be giving speech services to students that are in the U.S., but I would be in Costa Rica. Oh, see, look, the power of technology. You're going to be like, what is it? Okay. Like you help kids who have lisps or whatever, or like real, like what kind of speech impediments are you dealing with mostly? Wow. Well, you know, really just anything. I have, um, I, I help students that have like problems with the sounds like the speech sound and also <laughs> I kind of forget that everybody thinks that speech therapists just kind of are like holding up flashcards going blah 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 it's just kind of I've been doing it for a while now so I don't I have to rethink how to explain it but it's um you know any kind of language oriented disorder like if they're like I see a lot of students that are on the autism spectrum I see students who stutter um and I see students that just have like language delays or difficulties expressing themselves with language. Um, yeah, that's, well, that's, that's the other thing I do. Well, no, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, and it allows you to move to any place in the world and you can just like Skype it in and get paid. So you guys are moving to the mountains of Costa Rica. Like how far are you from the coast when you're in Monteverde? It's about, um, we went to the coast when we were there and I, there's, there's one coast that you can get to that's like an hour away. But, like, the really nice beaches that everybody really likes to go to are, um, like, three-hour drive away. Okay, because, like, most people, when you think Costa Rica, they're thinking, like, surf beaches and, what is it, Tamarinda? I forget what the name of it is, but... Yeah. Is that what, is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so. I'm really not that... Um, I'm not totally familiar with the geography. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just, mo- yeah, I, know, I, I I'm just moving there. I have no idea where where anything is. <laughs> little part of it yeah i think um you know for me the beach was nice i mean i liked it but it's really hot and um and Monte is more like seattle weather i mean it doesn't rain as much but it's it's just kind of got that climate more where it's nice and it's not it's not too hot right yeah i, don't, I wouldn't i don't want to live in I, i'm not built for the tropics uh personally you know maybe i could adapt i mean i guess you yeah. can adapt to anything but like you know, my, my DNA is not naturally suited to the tropics. No. Okay. Did, did you grow up in LA? No. I grew up in, uh, I was born in Milwaukee. So there you go. <laughs> but, you know, but I mean, I do have some Southern, uh, my genealogy goes down to the South, but I just, you know, not, even my family that is from the South and lives in the South doesn't like the heat. You know, we just sort of melt in the heat. It's not, it's not. And I, you know, to be honest with you, like, I guess there are some people, but when you think about like, you know, a hundred degrees and humid, you know, and then a hundred percent humidity. Like that's awful weather. I don't care who you are, but 
Uh, yes. You do, see, you do see some people who can flourish in that environment, and I don't know quite how they do it. It must be some sort of genetic thing. Yeah, maybe. I mean, when I first came to Austin, when I first moved to Austin, which was in like 2000, I actually really liked the heat. It was weird. I, I really felt like it was fine, and it was because I grew up in Seattle and I was in San Francisco for a while. I've moved around a little. And um, but when I moved to Austin, I was like, oh, I like this. This is cool. I like you know you can go swimming and um, you know I just I really liked the feeling of it being hot. I wasn't really doing anything though. Um, you know, I was just kind of, my days were very open because I was, I was a stripper. <laughs> oh, you were? So I, yeah, so I had a lot of, like, free time during the day where I could go <laughs> to, you know, Barton Springs and, like, swim. And, and it was just, you know, it was perfect for me at the time. But now it's, I find it oppressive. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah, it'll be nice to move somewhere where I can actually... So is, can, can anyone move to Costa Rica? I mean, like, do you have to fill out paperwork or get some sort of visa or like you can just move your family down to Costa Rica? No problem. Yeah, it's really, it's kind of weird. I did a lot of research on it because I thought, well, isn't it kind of shady of me to like work on the computer? <laughs> it seems weird. But, um, but apparently that's totally legit. But I mean, basically you move there as, I mean, we're going to be there as tourists. We're not going to be residents. So, um, and I think you have to leave the country for 72 hours, like every three months or something. So people do this all the time. And what they do is they just, you know, they'll go to Nicaragua or Panama or something and just hang out there for 72 hours and come back. Yeah, it gives you an excuse to, like, go on vacation I mean, from the place that you're living that is kind of, like, vacation-like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yeah, I'm really, um, that's really a, that's... interested in exploring this. That's a, I mean, this is a cool move, and especially with kids. I mean, you know, because I have a kid now. I'm trying to imagine. Like, that's a big leap, and I think it's it's the kind of thing that I think a lot of people talk about, but not a lot of people actually do. Yeah, and actually, we very nearly did not do it because even though it was kind of on our radar, you know, for a while, it kind of felt like we had two paths. Like, we could have gone, <laughs> or we could have And My husband was also up for this possibly, like, a really good promotion, which would have been really great for us financially. He ended up not getting it. And so we were like, oh, well, Costa Rica is coming back into focus now. But yeah, we're at a certain point. We're like, well, if he gets this job, we're probably not going to do it. Well, what does he, and what does he do? Like, is he going to be able to do whatever he does down there? Or is he just going to kind of, you know, find something else in Costa Rica? You know, I think he really wants to possibly, I think he's very open as I am too, when I'm down there to finding, I, I would like to stay in the same profession that I'm in, but he, um, I think he's very open to finding something else. He does um, he does IT support for doctors specifically. He's worked for the same hospital for a long time, and um, he's he doesn't really want to. He's not really that into doing that anymore. But he's um, he can do the IT support thing remotely. So then he would be doing kind of the same thing that I am, which is like computer support. See, you know, for all of my bitching about technology, this is pretty cool. Like that's one of the, I mean, you know, when you can do your job remotely and be living in Costa Rica, uh, you know, I think that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. It is bitching. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, my life as a dyke. (laughs) I I like saying that. I like saying that title, but, um, you're saying it sounds totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I guess it does. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Um, you are from, you said orig- originally from Seattle. Yes, that's where I was born and born, grew up. Born and grew up in Seattle and then mm-hmm. um, what? started getting involved with women in your adolescence. Yes. So, you know, this book deals with like what? Uh, how, how many years of your life are we talking? Is it just like a, a short window or does this deal with like your life between the ages of 16 and 30? Well, the, 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 the book basically focuses on a time during my adolescence, but it does cover the years between when I started dating women, which was around 15 to now when I'm in this heterosexual marriage and have not been with a woman for many, many years. (laughs) Um, But I would say that it mostly focuses on my, like, teenage years in Seattle. um, So so during the... Go ahead. During, like, the Queer Nation era, Queer Nation Act Up era. See, I don't even know what that is. And during a... Oh, Queer Nation? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Oh, Queer Fucking awesome! Yeah, it was um, back <laughs> back in the '90s when there just wasn't as much visibility, and um, you know, kind of in response to the AIDS crisis, really, there were um, you know there was this big push for visibility and being just really in your face about being queer and just like being around, you know, just having people see us. And so, Queer Nation was a group that you know they went to like suburban malls <laughs> and you would have this affection partner. Um, you know, or you could bring your real girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, but like you would go and you would be very, very visible. And then maybe stickers that would say like assimilate my big old strap on dildo. And like, <laughs> it was very, very, um, you know, dykes. I'm trying to think of some of them. I wish I'd like actually looked them up recently just because I was wondering what they said. Um, you know, some big butch dyke, you know, it's just, it says things on them that are just very in your face. And then we would like literally mud down in these suburban malls. So you participated in these things and like, did anyone ever confront you or get like, you know, was anyone ever hostile towards you when you were doing this stuff? You know, hardly ever. I can't remember a single time. I, I mean, I, I think, um, I think people, I mean, people would look at us, but, you know, in a, I think in the suburbs, I think that when it comes down to it, people are just really not into actual, like, <laughs> at least not at that time in that context. Well, but, and, um, and wait, is it, is it, was it just women or was it women? Like, was it man on man and woman on woman? Mm-hmm. It was both. Yeah, both. Okay. Cause I was yeah. going to say, I feel like maybe like the general public is more tolerant of two women getting it on than two men in public, but. Maybe that's just because yeah. dude. I mean, yeah, is that true? <laughs> yes, except that these, I mean, a lot of the women were obviously not, like, I mean, a lot of the women that were involved with cremation were not, like, women that were trying to attract men. <laughs> well, right. So they were, like, really butch-looking or, you know, just <laughs> lesser, you know. It's not, not what you would probably consider in, like, a male girl-on-girl fantasy. But, um, but yeah, I mean... They're both, and I, and probably I bet probably for people that were watching the men on men probably was more shocking. 
I'm guessing. Okay. But, so, I mean, we would be asked to leave by managers and things. but um, Just for making out? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was fun. Okay. So you're 16 years old. And uh, mm-hmm. when does it dawn on you that you're interested in women? And, like, how do you identify? Like, if you're now married to a man and you're involved in a heterosexual relationship, like, do you, I mean, are you bisexual? Are you, are you no longer gay and you feel like you're now squarely heterosexual? Like, how do you sort that out within yourself? You know, I, I actually still don't know. And, I, you know, when I was writing My Life as a Dyke, I, I was part of a writing group. And um, a friend of mine was actually, like, you know, I can't really tell at the end of this where you are, like, what is going on? You know, are you gay or, you know, what, are you bisexual? And she said, as a friend, I don't, you know, it's not a big deal, but as a reader, I'm really curious what's going on here, you know? And, um, I guess I would say that I am still kind of a, I, I still identify as bisexual. Like, I feel like I could see myself in the future with a woman probably just as easily as a man. Um, but looking back on my experience, but wait, what you're married. So like in the future, in the future, Oh, I mean, if something, if something, um, terrible happened, yeah, you're like, you're like, you're like, you're like after two years in Costa Rica, I'm probably going to leave this dude. Go find myself a woman. We decided, if we decided to open it up and just, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, that's how I think of it hypothetically. Of course, I hope that, you know, my husband and I, you know, die like those people in the, the notebook, which I've never seen where they, like, die holding hands on the bed or something. You don't have to You know what I mean? It's not like... You don't have to lie about this. You can admit that you've seen the notebook. <laughs> I have not seen it. I have not. Um, but, um, but I've heard about it plenty. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't... I don't know. And then when I, when I look back on my experience with women... I was attracted to very masculine women. And, um, so what, and this was 16, you're, you're like walking around like the mall or wherever you hung out as a teenager and you're seeing these like super butch chicks (laughs) and you're thinking like, I want, I want to get some of that. (laughs) I want to get some of that. Bring that right over here. Yeah. And still, I still feel very attracted to, to butch women. Um, when I see them. That being said, a lot of times, like sexually, I felt like there was something missing. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just really complicated, and I, and I think it can. I think it's possible for it to maybe shift over time or something. Because the time when I was interested in women, like men were really young, and like the men that I was with, they were really disappointing <laughs> sexually. <laughs> and so, like um, what? Like what do you mean? Like just like how so? Like disappointing how? know how to how to um they, just, they weren't as connected like they were they were really young and they were just you know didn't last very long and they weren't very um intuitive the ones that i was with like, maybe there's this maybe there's a host of teenage boys that are awesome but lovers, really but... really no like when you're a teenage boy like, is there any teenage boy who's any good at anything physical it's just like it's just a mess at that age it's i mean it's a mess often I, beyond yeah. that age but yeah, so I didn't really start dating men again until I was, I was in my mid-20s, I guess, when I started dating men again. Like, did I totally you, didn't date Okay, men. so did you have, like, any really bad experiences with men? Like, I mean, like, like capital B bad. I know it was, like, disappointing because they didn't know what they were doing, but, like, did you have any, like, gross or, like, 
super dark experiences with men that might have turned, oh. turned you off? Um, as a teenager? Um, or is it, I mean, any time in your life prior to that? Uh, no, no. I was never molested or anything. Like, I never had, like, I never had um, anybody, like, go further than I was willing to go. You know, I never had anything like that happen to me. I just found them... I, I just was finding that I didn't feel connected and, and like connection during sex was really important to me even at that age. You know, I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel <laughs> like we were gelling. You know what I mean? It felt like we were, it felt like we were covered in saran wrap. It just didn't feel like we were really close. You, you know, had, and then with women, I felt like it was intense. You had really high standards. Huh? You had really high standards as a 16-year-old. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Connection. Are you kidding me? I'm just like trying to like, you know, not lose my mind when I was 16. I don't even know what I was thinking. Yeah. And I think that's what it was. And I think that with women, I think um, I think there's just a lot more intrigue and a lot more connection. Okay. So, so, so when, when's the first time you hooked up with one of these butch girls? Like, how did it go down? Oh, man. Um, well, I was dating a girl from high school. Like, we were in high school and we were dating. And um, I dated her for, like, a year. And then we broke up. It was a very, like, dramatic relationship. And then we broke up, and we had to go into this 21 and under lesbian group in Seattle, and um, which was downtown, which I had to take two buses to get to. And um, and I there was a butch girl that was there. And um, she was like really much. Like she, she looked like Keeper Sutherland. <laughs> she was just really. And so, I thought she was really cute, but um, she was also like really intense. Like she, she had a lot of anger, and so she always talked about like expressing anger. And well, Keeper um, Sutherland has a lot of. He feels like he's very intense. You know, he always looks pissed off. Like he's just in repose. Keeper Sutherland looks like murderously angry. <laughs> Murderously angry face. Um, yeah, and and but she was really. Um, I ran into her actually, and that's in the book too. This whole the whole book. I was trying to when I initially started writing, and I thought, okay, I'm going to write about like what it's like to be in a heteronormative marriage, and um, you know how to have this past, and you know all this stuff. It really kind of ended up being about being about one person. Um, and it ended up being about this butch girl who was kind of like my introduction to women. And, um, and so I ran into her and then, you know, she basically like asked me on a date. That's another thing too. Like I found, I found that butch women were more like assertive, like, Hey, do you want to go out with me? And I was talking to a friend of mine who's, um, a lesbian and she was saying, like she read it, she read my life as a dyke and she was like, I'm kind of wondering, because she doesn't identify as butch or family. I think she said, I'm kind of wondering if that's something that people still do. Like, do they just call themselves butch or what? <laughs> and I honestly have no idea. But um, I call them butch. I mean, if I see a, a really, if I see a really mask, I mean, what else are you going to say? I mean, it's like, and you know what? It's like, it's just trying to like, there, there are lesbians and you, I mean, you know this as well as I do. There are lesbians that are more feminine and then there are lesbians who yeah. are like in the flannel and like power tools and the whole thing. And it's like, you know, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it sounds like, it sounds like you were pretty, I mean, because I feel like a lot of, especially, um, you know, generationally speaking, I think things are changing fairly rapidly now, but, um, yeah. you know, back when we were coming, you know, how old are you? We seem like we're probably close in age in your thirties. 
think we are. I think I heard you say that you're 37. I'm 39. Okay. I'm one of your yeah. reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So we're the same age, roughly. So I think when we were growing up, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I know that I guess there was like a, like a few people who were out like openly mm-hmm. in my high school. But like, you know, for a lot of teenagers in our generation, you know, if, if you're gay, that's not something that you're disclosing. Uh, maybe even to yourself, but certainly not to other people. There could be family tension. Like, did you have a traumatic like coming out experience, or was it fairly open up there in Seattle? You know, like what, what was the situation? You know, um, I actually wrote something about this when I was nineteen, and it was in this book called Generation Q, <laughs> and it was basically like all about um, about. It's an anthology from, and you know, nonfiction about um, people people stories who were born after 1969, which was when Stonewall happened, which were these riots in New York that kind of people say now are like the you know the, the beginning of the gay civil rights movement or whatever. Sure. And I heard about my family, and you know, my family was really supportive of me. Um, How did you come and, out to them? What did you say? Like, did you do a presentation, or did you just like drop it at the dinner table? <laughs> PowerPoint. <laughs> Before PowerPoint. <laughs> um, I told my mom um, first, and she really liked the girlfriend that I had at the time. So she was, and she was really, I, I think she had some feelings about it that were, I mean, I think she still went through a process of grieving to an extent. But, um, you know, after that, you know, I told my dad, I told my brother, and um, it they were really supportive. I mean, I really, um, you know, I just told her, like, I'm gay and I'm dating this girl I'm going to school with that you know. And, um, yeah, I mean, she she did, like, speakers panel. My mom and I ended up actually being on the Donahue show together. No shit. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And it, it was all, this is actually also because of Quakers. Quakers are, like... I've been on the periphery of my life for a while, but um, there these Quakers in Seattle had these speakers panels that they they sent you to high schools and like community colleges for gay people to like talk about their experiences. So it was kind of like the, the flip side of queer, and it was like some visibility that we're going to do at this point. <laughs> and um, and so we ended up getting like this connection because we were in charge of this. Got a call from the Donya show or something where they were like, "Do you know any like?" you know, mother, daughter, or, you know, parent, parent, child relationships that are actually positive where the parent is accepting. They're like, Oh yeah, we know (laughs) Vicky and Erica, you know? So we ended up being on that show. The Phil Donahue show. That's um, that's super old school. That's like pre Oprah. (laughs) I'm trying to remember if Oprah was around then. I can't remember. She probably was, but I mean, I, I feel like that was like before she rose to like massive, like the like the capital oh, yeah. Oprah that we know, but Phil Donahue, you know, he paved the way. Yeah, no, totally. Okay, yeah. so so your family your family was pretty accepting, you know, like so you don't ha- you don't come yeah. to, where they are you don't come from like a super conservative household or anything like that. Like it wasn't like one of those situations where no, no okay, they're Seattle, they're hippies, they're really liberal, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Well, fortunate for you. I'm on from the Netherlands too. Oh yeah. So like, yeah. So that that kind of like healthy expression of sexuality thing is really important to her, even outside of the gay thing. Okay. Okay. So then you're dating in high school and then that, that relationship ends and then you're going, what you're taking, mm-hmm. bu- you're taking buses to this, what uh, club, what was it? A, an under 21 club? 
it was like a 21 and under support group with like at the Lesbian Resource Center, which I have no idea if it's even still there. It was on Pine Street in Seattle. And um, on what street? Which is like Pine Street. Oh, okay. In Seattle. Have you been there? No, I just you just broke up a little bit, so I didn't know if uh, if people listening oh, want to go track it down. Okay, <laughs> on Pine Street. I would actually be really curious to know if it's still there. But yeah, I was taking two buses from my you know suburb in you know north of Seattle to downtown Seattle to go to this group. I think it's like every Thursday from like six to eight or something. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just the only, these were the only young people that I knew except for one friend that I had in high school. Um, and we would just go there and just talk about being gay. <laughs> now they have a whole, like, house. They have a whole house for gay youth now, which was actually started by this woman that started the 21 and under group. Oh, okay. Who was under 21 herself. So, yeah. okay. And so I think a lot of the lesbians, like, grew up, grew up really fast because... A lot of them had been kicked out of their homes and stuff. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, she was able to, like, mobilize and start this thing, <laughs> start this house because she was so independent. But what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, um, the, so it's at this club that you meet the butch girl that is very heavily, uh, that a lot of your um, thought catalog book is about. Mm-hmm. And you said mm-hmm. you said earlier that you ran into her there. So like she was just there, and you're in the group talking, and that's where you guys started to chat. Like, how did the actual meeting of this? No, okay. So this is how it happened. She was in the 21 and under group, and then she was gone. Like she'd left, and I remember feeling kind of disappointed. Like, oh my god, wasn't here again. Um, and so I actually ran into her on the street, um, right outside of this community college that's, that's near, that's, that's in like the Capitol Hill slash downtown area. And, um, I was like, Oh, <laughs> like I was excited. And, um, what, what, what was her and name? then what was her name? Well, in the book, it's, it's not that. And I actually, I guess I split that probably should have used her name, but it's, um, it's Jordan. Can you like cover it up? Something I could say that like later and you could like cover it up. <laughs> well, just what's what's her name? But, um, what's, her, what's her name in the book? Jordan. Okay, Jordan. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And I find it so hard to, like, change names, but, you know, it's be done. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I ran into her outside of the community college, and we were like, hey, and we kind of, I mean, it just felt like there was a little chemistry. And then she told me that she wasn't going to the 21 and under group anymore, and that um, she was going to Queer Nation. And that's, I went there solely because I was interested in her. Like, I was like, I want to hang out with this girl. <laughs> and so I started going, but it, it ended up, like, starting this, you know, 10-year-plus, um, you know, gay activism period for me, which, you know, my activism isn't, isn't in that way anymore, and I, I don't think many people... <laughs> And I don't think it's, I don't think that that kind of thing is around anymore where you're going to malls and making out and like doing these, you know, there were all these initiatives, these anti-gay initiatives at the time that we would go and like stand with the petitioners and talk about why they shouldn't put this anti-gay initiative, why they shouldn't vote for this. And, um, you know, now it seems to be more like around the marriage quality thing, but, um, but yeah, so I started, then I just started going to this, this thing and it ended up being really 
positive experience. We ended up dating for a while. Okay, so a couple things. First of all, like you genuinely got, you were genuine, like once you showed up, like you were just chasing this girl basically when you showed up at Queer Nation. But once you got there, you became authentically involved. It wasn't just like, I'm an activist now trying to like hook up with this girl. Yeah. <laughs> you can't This is where all the hot witch girls are. I am in. Yeah. Um, no, it was, yeah, I became, I started realizing how important it was. Right. You know, I came from a very, I wasn't sheltered, you know. I was living in the suburbs, you know, with, you know, middle-class family where I didn't have, you know, um, any idea really how deep all this stuff went, you know, in terms of gay rights and, and what you would have to do to actually get them and, you know, what, what kind of stuff we grew up against at the time. Right. And so, and then uh, the girl, Jordan, like, when did you guys start to become romantically involved? Like, did you make the first move or did, did she... No, she did. No. Yeah. I mean, not that I've never made this first move now, but like, yeah, at the time, I was pretty shy. We, we started dating, like, I would say probably a couple of weeks or a week after <laughs> I went to that first cremation meeting. Right, so were you, like, and this is the first butch girl that you'd ever hooked up with, right? So previously your high school, yes. your high school girlfriend was like this kind of like, I could, you know, I'm, I could be totally wrong, but I'm picturing just like sort of a normal suburban femme lesbian, yeah. right? And then now you're but actually kind of androgynous too, but not, not butch. Like okay. I wouldn't, I don't think anybody would ever describe her as manly. Okay. So now, anything. so now you're hooking up with Jordan, who is like Kiefer Sutherland personified. <laughs> were, were you, were you, uh, were you intimidated? Were you like, Oh shit, like this is going to be way more intense than anything I've ever experienced before. Or was, was it, you know what I'm saying? Cause like, was she more, yes. was she more or less masculine than you anticipated once things got intimate? Well, once things got intimate, it was really different. Like, I mean, it was, like, I didn't feel like, I mean, even though he kind of looked sort of managed, like, I, I didn't feel like he was a man or anything like that. Like, it was, it was interesting because he, you know, having, when we had sex and all that, that was, it was just like having sex with her. And the butch thing, like, I guess was kind of irrelevant. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I guess it must have meant something, but he, he was very dominant, like, or she was very dominant. I should probably clarify that she's a man now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but, yeah. Like, had an, but, actual, um, had, an, had an actual sex change? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know, to, I don't know to what extent, but, like, he started taking testosterone several years ago. And, oh, wow. Um, but, okay, but that's, like, this is actually, again, I could be, it just could be my uh, cluelessness, but, like, you know, when someone is but like a butch lesbian, like a very masculine woman, yeah. it's still a woman, you know, like, so I can understand like the presentation, you know, like the short hair and the flannel and the chains and the whatever. Yeah. But like at the end of the yeah. day, it's still not like having sex with a dude because like guys are just. No. Right. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah. And he was cute. She was really into, um. SM, too, which was also brand new for me. Like, I didn't do any of that stuff with my first girlfriend. I mean, I'd had those kind of fantasies before, but not, like, like literally on our first date. <laughs> we went into a room. She had her own apartment. And um, she had, like, all this leather stuff. And I was like, oh, you really like leather. <laughs> like, I had no idea what that meant at the time. So innocent. But, um, yeah, and, like, all the... I don't know if you've heard of Pat Califia. No. She wrote the 
book called, she's also a man now, but she wrote this book called Macho Sluts. <laughs> it was all about like, so it's a children's book. It's a children's book. It's got some illustrations <laughs> by the same guy who did where the wild things are. Um, no, <laughs> it's like really hardcore. It was like the most hardcore thing I'd ever read. I think at that point, which I guess nowadays I probably would have come across that kind of thing a lot sooner, but, um, yeah, I mean, I read that, and, you know, we started, she started kind of educating me, and, um, you know, that's funny, because the blurb for Thought Catalog said she met a host of butch women who were more than willing to show her the ropes, which just made me laugh so hard, but then it kind of was true, like, <laughs> she was just, you know, showing me this, you know, exploring this SM thing with me where she was very experienced and I was not. And, um, you're saying S M you're saying S and M, right? S and M. Yeah. Okay. S M S. -M. Oh, you did. Okay. I always, I've always heard it say S and M, but so what, you know, I've had people on this show. I've had a dominant, I've had two dominatrixes on this show and, uh, you know, what, what is the, I mean, I guess the allure is pretty much the same for people who are into that. Like, uh, you know, I've, been, I've, I've actually been doing revisionist history in my head lately because I was talking to Kendra Graham Malone, one of the dominatrixes recently, and uh, also a, uh -huh. you know, a fine poet. But she was saying that, uh, you know, it's like just like pe some people like spicy food. Some people like to be uh, tied up during sex or like, you know, they're, like they like pain with their sex or whatever it is. And I, and I'm sort of like, yeah, you yeah. Know, I, but, but you know what? I, I get that analogy. Like some people like spicy food, but like. I feel like when you're involved in like at like hardcore S and M, it's like you like spicy food, but you like it like in your orifices. Portion. <laughs> yeah. I like I like spicy food in my orifices. Uh, yeah, I mean it's, just, um, it's, it's like taking each one. Yes, yeah, it's like it's a little bit more hardcore than just liking spicy food. So, like, do, do you know why you're into that? You know, I don't know, and I can say that it, it's it fluctuates. Like, I mean. It fluctuates a lot. Like, I, my husband and I don't, like, spend all this time, like, chaining each other up. We, I mean, partly because we have two kids, and the, the time that we have to do things like that is, like, a lot more limited. <laughs> but um, but there's definitely a lot of power in our relationship sexually. And and I think that's what you're playing with when you're doing it, when you're having an SM, SM, SNL relationship. And, um, you know, it's not, you know, some of the time it's going to be normal sex it's not it doesn't involve those power plays but i think when you're playing like when you're doing that kind of dynamic um i think that's what you're playing you're just playing with who's in control and i'm going to give you control and then you know it's just it's just it's really just playing yeah it's interesting you know i don't know i feel like uh I feel like it's it's very alien to me personally, so I'm just always fascinated mm -hmm. by, by how it works, you know, and how people psychologically get there. But I guess you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat, you know. So you've never done anything that's like I'm like so, role playing no, or no. anything that's I'm like so thinking. I would not be I would not be able to keep a straight face. <laughs> yeah, your wife is thinking. <laughs> you would you would it? Okay. Yeah, no, I would um, just be, I, I'm too self conscious. I would be like outside of the. I can't be like in the moment with that. I would be I would be watching the experience, just going, "What the fuck <laughs> am I doing?" <laughs> wow, that's funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've always been very. I've always been very playful sexually, so to me, like, that stuff was never really all that dark or scary or anything, because I was like, oh, this is just another way of, you know, exploring 
the dynamics of the relationship to me. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's got a little bit of theater, which I also like, you know. Sure. Well, yeah. Well, you wound up stripping at some point, so clearly, right? I mean, I, and I want to, I want to like figure yeah. out. I want to figure out how that, like all of this happens. So, like, you're in. Okay, just to make sure we try to <laughs> trace this line, you're in Seattle. Yes. You're dating. You're in high school. You're involved with Queer Nation. You have a decade of your mm-hmm. life between adolescence and, I guess, like what your mid to late twenties, where you're active. And then eventually, you get mm-hmm. to San. Like, did you go to college? Did you? You went to San Francisco. Like, how do we get to there? No, yeah, I dropped out of high school my senior year, and um, I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> I was really close to graduating, actually, but I was just, like, I was a very poor student at that time, and I really didn't want to waste more time on it, and I didn't see myself going to college. Nobody in my family had gone to college, but um, I was just really interested in um, having a good time. And, like, I didn't like to work. I still don't really like to work. But um, I just wanted to chill and, like, go coffee in the daytime and stuff and, you know, just hang out. And I was writing, too, intermittently. Um, and I, the way I got into stripping is <laughs> there was actually this group of very sexy bisexual women in the community. Like, they're all bisexual. They were all, like... In Seattle? really attractive mm-hmm. okay and i think i kind of they, they were all working have you ever heard of the lusty lady i think i have heard of the in, no but it's in seattle it's in seattle are you there yeah 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 no i had i've never heard i mean the lusty lady that's a strip club yeah it's a peep show oh, like okay. the like the madonna video Okay. Yeah. No, I've never, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think I'm familiar with the lusty lady. I don't know why that rang a bell, but I thought for some reason there was one in San Francisco, but there is, there's one in San Francisco too. Oh, okay. So yeah, that may be why I've heard of it, but I don't think I've been there. Okay. Yeah. You put like a quarter in, I mean, I don't know how it works anymore. I know there's only, there's one in San Francisco, but I don't know how it works anymore, but you put a quarter in and then like this window goes up and you see this group of women dancing naked and, um, you know, in a group, I guess, and they come up to your window and they're like all seductive and everything. Anyway, I thought that that was really sexy and I really wanted to, I really admired this group of bisexual women <laughs> who I thought were not only like really sexy and interesting, but just like had that, uh, like that extra quality of just being, I don't know, that like kind of unnameable quality of, of being really uh, I, intriguing. I, I admire them right now. I've never even met them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, and with good reason. So, um, so yeah, so then I found out that they were all working there. So another friend of mine and I got really intrigued with them. Like, Maybe we should try that, you know, because then we wouldn't have to, like, work all the time. And so we um, we went downtown like that, you know, when I was, like, I think I was 19 or 20. I can't remember. And we went and visited them <laughs> at this place. And... Um, you know, they told us how to get a job there, and we got a job there, and I ended up working as a stripper on and off for, like, like nine or ten years. Wow. Okay. And you can, you can make Mostly good... Mostly off, I have to say. Okay. But you can make good money stripping. That's one That's one aspect of it that's uh, that's really positive. It's like, there are women out there who are making a killing doing this. Oh, yeah. That was never me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was never me. No, I was a terrible stripper in that sense. I was a pretty good hustler, but what would happen is I would, like, work. And especially once I moved to Austin because I was working at lap dancing clubs at that point. Like, it was a lot 
it was a lot less comfortable yeah. for me. Like I was I, still doing it because I, I think for me, it was like I just didn't want to give up that freedom of having all my days to myself. <laughs> right. You know, and I didn't want to work. I didn't really want to work. So I could work like three or four days a month. And then I think I was also really depressed. So I think that um, About you know, I just wasn't like really self-motivated. Um, well, I don't know. I think I had problems with depression. And, um, like just chemically, you know, you're, you're chemically like, depressed. I think so. I mean, I've never taken antidepressants or anything, but I, I have had a ton of therapy. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that I was really feeling stuck for a while with stripping and not, not able to figure out. I was kind of thinking that I just didn't have any other skills and that, um, you know, I was writing, but I wasn't really applying myself in that sense either and I think that I was having a real problem with applying myself and so I ended up doing it for a much longer time than I felt comfortable which is a very common story you know that I've found from talking to women that dance like yeah it's really hard to get out well that's the thing is like you're, you're like I'm going to do this for a couple of years just avoid work and you know have my days to myself but then it's like how do you replace that income and like what else do you do you know and it's like yeah Plus, like, did you find that it was like, uh, did it did it hurt your soul at all to be like grinding on these guys' laps every night for money? Like, did that bum you out or, or change the way you felt about men? You know, I don't. I don't think that it really hurt my soul to do that. Um, I think. I mean, I think that there was definitely some self-esteem going on, some self-esteem stuff, but like grinding on men didn't make that any worse or better. Like, I mean, I think that, you know, there are times, I think any, anybody that danced and I was definitely no exception. Like, I think there were some times I was like, oh, I can't believe I did that for like that money. You know what I mean? It was just like, I really didn't want to come back next week. <laughs> like if you start kind of, I mean, you kind of go for me, some, there were times when I went like beyond my boundary. So like how so, um, Oh, well like, you know, I would, it's, it's a bottomless, like it's a topless club here. And I was like, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal, I guess to like flash my bottom or whatever like that, but you know, just show my pressure, <laughs> like for extra money. And that's the thing is that you're you're doing things for money, and I guess that could be kind of I guess my soul could have taken a hit from that, but I always kind of felt like it was more that I just didn't know how I, I think it was more the feeling that I was giving myself away cheaply and not because um of the men particularly okay, so like and this is a, that this makes is a sense. yeah, it does make sense, and like here's a here's a question from a guy's perspective. Uh, when you're dancing, mm -hmm. what what kind of guy is like the ideal? Uh, aside from a guy who's <laughs> just got like uh, you know five thousand dollars in his pocket, like what is the ideal mm -hmm. interaction that you want? Because like this is me, like being neurotic the way that I am. Like you know the times that I've uh -huh. been in strip clubs and there's some girl dancing, I I'm like, what do I say to you? Like to hey, how are you doing? And like you know you're getting. I, I start to do small talk. I start to ask about. You know, it's like this. Yeah. I'm trying to do a podcast, essentially, <laughs> while, while a, a woman is giving me a lap dance. I can't handle it. And I don't know, 
how, like, what am I supposed to do? Were you supposed to just sit there quietly or tell jokes or, you know, it's a very awkward scenario for me. Yeah. You know, it's such a weird scenario. I mean, even, even after doing it tons, like every time I was just like, I wonder how this is going to play out. Am I just going to be stressful? You know, um, I would say the really honestly for me, and I think probably a lot of women would feel this way too, that would dance, but I, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I really preferred, <laughs> this sounds so bitchy, but I preferred like really seasoned customers who would like sit down, like they would talk to you and be human to you. But, um, I didn't really like questions that were aimed at getting to know me at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Cause I had a, I had a, <laughs> yeah, you would have been my nightmare. Oh, no, <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, 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 you're not. I, I don't, and it I don't, also is really. I don't, I don't take any offense. Like that's honestly how I am. I'm like, so where are you from? And like, you know, what was your childhood like? And they're just like, dude, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Does your dad know you do this? Um, <laughs> you know, and it also depended on the money. Frankly, I mean, if if there was a guy that was like, I want to get to know you a little bit and was paying a lot, then that's what I mean. It just sounds terrible, but that was kind of the nature of that interaction. Sure. And. um and so I'm trying to think of like some of my favorite customers. And I have to say there was, that was like a really big film buff. And so, and he would spend like massive amounts of cash and he had like a few favorites. And I just happened to be one of those favorites because I uh, really love film too. And so we would sit there and talk about David Lynch and stuff. And like, <laughs> that was actually fun. So wait, you're like doing like a headstand, he, you're like doing like a headstand in his lap, like talking about like blue velvet or like, what was What does this look like talking about? <laughs> I've never really... Never really good at this trick. That's kind of. I mean, besides not being a very good, um, you know, money maker, I was also kind of lazy. So um, I kind of relied on conversation a lot, actually. Even though, but not about me. So, um, so I mean, basically, most of the time you're going to be sitting and getting dances. Say again. And most of the time you'll be sitting and not getting dances. Um, I mean, most of the time I was, not you, (laughs) but, um, but, um, but yeah, that's the kind of customer that I usually prefer to somebody that was like cordial, spent a lot of money and, um, you know, didn't try to get too close. (laughs) Didn't try, didn't try to like help you mentally. Yeah. Right. Psychically. I get it. I get it. Oh yeah. That was the worst. That was the worst, honestly. Like, and a lot of times those guys would be really religious. Oh, they would say they were. Right. No, but yeah. like I've, I've, I honestly have been, cause I have this, you know, and I've, I've, I'm annoyed with myself. So like, I don't, <laughs> I, I get what's wrong with me, you know, but like I can genuinely, I can recall being in like Las Vegas at a bachelor party and being at a strip club and being drunk and being like, you need to go to college or, you know, just some fucking conversation. <laughs> it's just bad. You're like, dude, you're at, the, you're at the Spearmint Rhino. Just go with it. Like, you don't need to, like, give somebody, like, a consultation on their education or something, yeah. you know. Um, Did you get a lap time for that? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I was paid. Who yeah. knows? I, you know, who knows? Just for college. God damn it. <laughs> Sit on it. <laughs> right. Get your degree. Um, it just feels so stupid in retrospect, you know. Uh, so, okay, so you're doing this in Austin. And, you know, it's one of the things that's refreshing about uh, talking with you is just how open you are about how lazy you are <laughs> yeah. and how you yeah. don't you don't like to work. I think that's the, I think that's like sort of especially in the American in, in American culture. It's like such a sacrilege to be lazy, you know, because we're know. Uh, we're an up by the bootstraps people. But like, 
you know, some people yeah. just don't like to work. I think a lot of people don't like to work. They have to work, but they don't like to. And you found a ways to work minimally, it sounds like, and still get by. Like, have you ever had, like, do you have any help from your family or, or are you just like, you're just happy to kind of like live simply and avoid like shitty jobs? Oh man, no, I've totally had help from my family. Yeah, especially during that period. <laughs> like they, they knew that I was stripping in the beginning, but they were so distressed by it that I, you know, I took time off from dance. It wasn't like 10 years straight or anything, but like just one of the times that I stopped for a while, I just was like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. And then when I started it again, I just never told them. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I've had help from my family over the years and not for a while, but, um, yeah, I mean, the job that I'm doing right now, I'm actually way less lazy because I can't afford to be in because, um, you know, I'm providing for family and everything. So it's more, um, but, you know, yeah, if I had my brothers, I'd probably, and this and Costa Rica might help this happen a little bit. But, um, yeah, I'd like to take some, I'd like to relax. Yeah. There's also an enormous amount of paperwork that comes with my job, which I find really tiring. But the actual therapy, like working with kids, I love that. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's a nice job, too, because you're genuinely helping people. You can probably see, like, measurable results and, like, you're affecting their lives. Yeah. You know, that's a good – that's good work, I think. Yeah, it's way better. So, uh, so, okay. So how does this end? Like, how does the stripping – like, how does the stripping lesbian – uh, period of your life end and how do you transition into like married heterosexual mother of children well you know I mean I started dating guys and I was actually dating a guy when I moved to Austin at that point I was already dating guys I hadn't you know that relationship was really on again off again and so during the off again periods I would date women sometimes um, what, what, was then, it, what was it like going back or going to men? Like, had you ever been with a man before? Like, when was the first time you hooked up with a guy? I had never had an orgasm with a man, but I had been with a man before. Yeah, I'd been with men. I mean, I was with men during my teenage years, and then, you know, for a couple oh, times right. in San Francisco, right. I dated a guy. Um, I had I had some threesomes where there was a guy there. <laughs> and then... Um, but, you know, it was very, like, infrequent, and I didn't have any serious relationships with guys until I was 25 when I started dating this guy in Seattle. Okay. And he came to Austin with me, and then we broke up, and then I dated women a little bit more, and then I fell in love with my husband, who was actually a really good friend of mine, and I was still dancing. And then I had already told myself that I was not going to dance by age 30. That was, like, my cutoff. <laughs> that was just my cutoff. And so I found out, I, didn't, I actually was so ignorant about how to get into college. Like, I knew at that point that I wanted to be a speech therapist, but I just thought, oh, I can't afford college. Like, I'll have to pay for it myself. It would be too hard, and I don't want to do it. And then my future husband, who's one of them now, told me that he could get student loans and, like, told me about the whole process, which I had no clue about. And so... I applied, and then I got accepted, you know, I got financial aid and started going to community college here in Austin, and um, and then I just started started going to school, and I just kept going, and I stopped dancing at that point. You retired? Did you have, like, a retirement party or anything? <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. Like a six-foot sub um, and a cake? or That would have been killer. I actually was kind of going through, like, a very, like, friendless period at that time. <laughs> So it probably would have been hard. I was kind of like leaving, you know, the key thing that really happened is my brother died. Oh God. And so, 
Yeah, so he and he was twenty six. What happened? And, um, he died of a a drug interaction. Like he struggled with drugs his whole life, and he got really into speed. And he took a bunch of speed, and then he took some sort of barbiturate or something, and so it just had this really bad reaction for his body, and totally like he had total organ failure, and like he was completely brain dead and stuff. So that happened. Oof. Like right when I was twenty nine, and so yeah, it was really hard. And my husband and I just started dating oh, at that time, right? So it was just like really. Yeah, you're not. Da- <laughs> I remember calling him. You're not dancing after what? like you're not going to be in the mood to dance in the wake of something like that. Yeah, yeah, there was that too, and I would I had been experimenting with speed a little bit myself. Like it was like, you know, there were a couple weekends when I did it. I think I did it for like four weekends in a row or something. I was like, I like this stuff. And then that happened with my brother. And I was like, I don't think I like this stuff. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just, it was just really pivotal in that sense. And I'd already decided, I don't know if I really would have stopped. I think I would have. I was, I was pretty good about keeping those, like, those kinds of promises to myself. And so, but when my brother died, I like literally didn't go back even once. Yeah. So, but I'd already been planning to do that. That's a heartbreak. Um, That's a heartbreaker. That sucks. Yeah, it really it was really hard. Um, and I was actually just talking to somebody whose sister died recently, and um, you know, just it reminded me of that period where it was just really, just so painful. Where you're just you really can't think about anything else, and you feel really alone with it because nobody wants to talk about it with you. Um, it just makes people so uncomfortable, um, and. I don't know. It just made me realize, like, I feel sad about it sometimes. Like, he, his birthday was May 12th, and, like, I felt sad. But nothing like the first, like, couple of years. The first couple of years were really hard. And then after that, it's like, you might have moments where you feel it, and then, um, but it's not anywhere near that intensity. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, time, me. time, well, you know, like, I mean, it's always going to be there, but I think time really does heal i mean at least in some way like yeah. you're always going to have the scar and there's going to be moments where the pain like resurfaces but you know the thing about it's weird like as human beings like you can't sustain that level of intensity of it, or the level of intensity of any emotion you know whether it's positive yeah. or negative like you just can't physically do it <laughs> uh or emotionally yeah, sure. emotionally do it so you find ways to adapt and um, you know, I was talking to Emily Rapp on this show and, and she just lost her child. Oh, I've heard that one. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, you, yeah. she says though, you know, like human beings are built to withstand a lot more than they think they can withstand. And I think that's true. You know, like you think like if the worst happens, you're just going to like shrivel, but you know, life goes on and you find ways, you find ways to move forward and, you know, I don't know, compartmentalize or heal or whatever it is that you do to, to not go insane. <laughs> Yeah, her book is probably, like, one of the best books I've ever read about that whole, like, just grieving and fighting her way. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, but, like, it's a, um, it's a really, you know, smart and uh, it's intense. Like, you know, I found, like, I think Emily's approach is um, a lot more unblinking than most, you know? Like, yeah. She really confronts. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I actually had to read it twice because when I first read it, I was like, I don't think I like this. <laughs> and then I was like, I kept thinking about it. And I was like, I'm going to have to read that again. And so I did. And it's just, yeah, I love that book. I like to read one too. Sure. Okay. So 
Okay. Well, I didn't, I mean, that was sort of a curveball. I wasn't expecting you to tell me that your brother had passed away, but like you're 29 and then, um, mm-hmm. you're dating your husband, your now husband and you, you know, then this yeah. big trauma happens and then you're sort of like, that's the big shift. It sounds like that's like, you know, you, you, you then like, how long was it before you got married? You then shifted into a committed relationship oh. with him pretty shortly thereafter. Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked about it a lot and like, you know, we were friends for, you know, three years and then we started dating and then I think a shift had already started to happen with me. I mean, I'd started seeing a therapist and I was able to like break some pretty negative relationship patterns I had and like, like what had kind of confronted things in my own life. Well, I was dating, um, this guy who, you know, didn't love me basically. <laughs> I kept on, I kept on at it, you know, I just kept on dating this guy and not knowing how to get out of it. He's also, you know, he's barely in the recovery. He's a heroin addict and he was like just starting to recover. And it was just, you know, it kind of, I thought that there was all this stuff wrong with him and that's why we were having such a terrible time. But it turned out that, you know, there's all this stuff I am complaining about myself. Like, you know, I was talking earlier about giving myself away cheaply for dances and, you know, I was kind of doing that in my relationships too. And just like self-esteem, um, st- like self-esteem stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't explain totally why. I mean, I've always felt loved as a child and everything. I just really struggled with um, romantic relationships. Well, you know, but I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily uncommon. I mean, I feel like people, you know, you know what, well, you know what I think? I mean, it, it takes on different forms, but I feel like people, when it comes to mm-hmm. intimate, when it comes to intimacy and relationships, anybody who's not mm-hmm. in a really good, uh, you know, and good is in quotes, because, you know, there's all different kinds of good relationships. And even in a good relationship, there's struggles. It's just, it's always difficult with human beings, but you know, anybody who's not, yeah. who hasn't like found their buddy or their mate or whatever, uh, and who's not in a really good committed relationship is struggling with relationships. <laughs> you know, like I don't know anybody who during who who I you know who's single or who during my single years wouldn't fall into that category in some way. Like I, I mean, I remember being single and being like, "Why can't I do this?" You know, <laughs> like when am I gonna yeah. when am I gonna find somebody that I actually fit with or that I'm actually interested in? You know, in a, in a well, and you know. Wait, go ahead and finish. No, I was just going <laughs> to say, I was just going to say interested in, in a deeper way or in a, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody you were really interested in spending time with. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like until I was able to break that particular pattern with me of like, you know, getting myself over to these relationships where it just wasn't reciprocated in the same way. I don't think, I mean, I was friends with my husband for a long time and we were really close and I did not recognize him as somebody that I could have that type of relationship with until I started really working on breaking those, breaking that way, that person, you know, just sort of shifting my perspective with relationships that, you know, I had to watch and see if anything was being given back to me and, you know, what to do if it wasn't. Right. Um, well, and it's interesting too, that like, you know, with this, this, uh, you know, with your set of life experiences between what, 15 and 30, uh, that you wind up with a guy who's from Fort Worth and who's, you know, uh-huh. I mean, that's a pretty conservative area. So like, what is, what is it like? And what is it like being in Texas? So you got this book out called my life as a dyke. I mean, I guess like, you know, there's pockets of, there's pockets of acceptance everywhere, but do you ever feel like, uh, 
you know, I don't know, stranger in a strange land with this particular book and this particular set of life experiences? Yes, totally. Um, my friends have all been really supportive. I, I, I gave my friends, you know, a link to the book and everything, and most of them bought it, I think. But, like, and everybody that read it was like, awesome, you're so great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my friends here are heterosexual, most of them, and, you know, haven't had experiences like that that they've shared with me anyway. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm known as, among my friends, I'm kind of like, it's on everything, you know, like that's kind of a, a thing. But, um, and in fact, I dressed up in drag for this Halloween party, and I, I happen to know a lot of tricks for dressing up in very convincing male drag. And um, I really look like a guy, like it's very disconcerting. And I went to this Halloween party, and um, it really freaked people out. There were a couple people that were totally fine with it, but like, people were like, that's a little bit hardcore for me. Like, and I don't think I would have had that, that reaction in Seattle. I think people would have been like, in fact, I've done it in Seattle now that I think of it. And it was not like that at all. But, um, but you know, I'm kind of hanging out with different people now. And I'm a little older and, you know, a lot of people haven't done any of that stuff. So they're just like, why, why are you doing and, and what about so, what about like your in-laws? Like, what do you have like your, your mother-in-law reading like my life is a dyke or given it to them and I actually you know since I'm here they know that I'm having an interview and I'm just kind of I was just kind of trying to meet them where they're at like I was going to be honest no matter what they said but I haven't told them about the book yet I haven't told my own parents about the book yet oh wow um well, I probably will soon maybe they're listening I'm kind of doing it <laughs> I'll probably let my mom hear this for sure but um and then she'll know about it but um yeah I mean I told Recently, I told my father-in-law, he was like, I told him that I'd been writing again and um, that I was publishing stuff. And he said, oh, what are you, what are you publishing? And I said, oh, it's a, you know, I've been publishing stuff about like all the terrible things I've done. <laughs> and he was like, oh, because he's, he's well aware of some of them. Like they both, they know I'm bisexual and they know that, um, anyway, they know I've been relationships with women and they know that, um, that I'm a stripper. Okay, because I'm picturing like I'm picturing like J.R. Ewing, like where you are, and for um, you know, yeah, big, he's here. Is he? Okay, <laughs> no. no, Larry Hagman actually, uh, R.I.P. He passed away this you know recently, but I know. I mean, it, it's I, I mean, Fort Worth seems like super ultra, like George W. Bush conservative, but I guess there are people. I mean, there's all kinds of people everywhere. Yeah, no, it's true. It is it's totally conservative. My my father-in-law and my mother-in-law are not. I really lucked out. Um. With that, my husband's my husband's mother and stepdad are pretty conservative. Like I probably would never tell them about it. If they found out, I'd be okay with that. But I don't think I would share it with them. You're not you gonna know, you're not gonna you're not gonna break that out of Thanksgiving. Like, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, especially since I talk about my husband and I playing rape and. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, that doesn't seem like it would feel good to tell them about it, but, could, but if, they, if they knew about it, that'd be fine. Wait, you, you, and your, you and your husband, you said play rape? We play rape a little bit with each other. Wow. Essentially, um, it's just like another example of that power dynamic, yeah. you know? Sure. That I talked about earlier. Wow. Okay. Well, that you know what? That seems like a good closing note, the playing rape closer. <laughs> I've, never, I've never done that before. I feel like it's the, I'm breaking new ground. So you're, yeah, I think you probably had it. You said that you weren't 
weren't going to be trying spankings anytime soon. <laughs> well, you know, I'll think it over. I don't know if my wife's going to go for playing right, but we'll, we, I'll, I'll broach the subject. Uh, so, uh, anyhow, it's been fun talking with you and like really enlightening and, uh, interesting. And I congratulate you on the book and I wish you Thank well, you. I wish you guys well on the move to Costa Rica. That sounds exciting. Thank you so much. All right, folks, there you go. That's Erica Kleinman. Go get her book. It's called My Life as a Dyke. It's available now in ebook format from Thought Catalog. You can find Erica online at ericakleinman.wordpress.com. She's on Twitter at ekleinman, and I believe you can find her on the Facebook as well. Thanks to Kill Rockstars, as usual, for all the good music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And hey, don't forget about the app, the Other People app the official app of this program. It is available now free of charge for your iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, or Android device. New episodes automatically upload to the app. You can download episodes to listen to offline. You can favorite your favorite episodes and organize uh, that way. And you can also access premium content and the full archives via the app. So please go get that if you haven't done so already. The app itself is free. Okay, so uh, I'm not complaining. Just to go back full circle uh, to what I was talking about at the top of the show, I'm not complaining about people smiling. Obviously. It's nice. It's better than the alternative. I'm just, I'm just wondering why. I'm raising the question. Is there a reason for it? Is it pure coincidence? Is it a random accident? Uh, was it just a case of uh, awareness? Was I simply aware of it this morning, whereas on other mornings I am not? That would be kind of nice. You know, like perhaps this kind of thing happens all the time and uh, I simply don't notice it. Perhaps uh, this morning I was projecting some sort of unusually good positive energy as I attempted uh, to meditate while walking while at the same time dealing with the overwhelming urge to read Twitter and receive an iPhone-generated shot of dopamine. I don't know. I feel like that's a representative experience. That's life today in a nutshell for human beings. Everybody walking around trying to resist the urge to stare into their telephones. And for the most part, failing miserably. Please remember that Sophocles' father manufactured swords and that William de Kooning's father was a beer distributor. That's it for now. I hope you enjoy today's show. Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you to Erica Kleinman. I'll be back again soon with another episode, another author, another conversation about uh, whatever comes up. Uh, that's it. I'm going to go for another walk, perhaps later, with my dog, uh, I'm going to test the cosmic energy in the city. I hope it's good. I hope it's friendly. I'm going to try to focus on walking. And I'm going to try to stop my, incense, my incessant mental rambling. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to do it. There's nothing there. It's a void... It's a vacuum, and it's trying to suck me in. 